with us. It's good to see whoever is on Zoom as well. I, I'm not seeing you, but uh, I'll look at your names later, and then I'll see your names. Um, but I'm glad that you're here, and we are continuing this unpacking series. We have this week, and we have next week, and then it's Easter already, which is pretty wild. And on Easter and afterwards, we're going to take some time to look at each individual encounter that Jesus had with people after the resurrection. And so what are those encounters? What did they look like? What happened and what might that mean for us? And uh, I'm, I'm excited about to spend some time on that. You should be excited, too, because it's not just my voice. So you'll hear from other people as well. And um, it, it'll be it'll be great. But we've got a little left to unpack. Not that we think everything will be done by the end of two weeks, but what we're going to unpack today is this question of what is asked of us. As we follow Jesus, as we live this life, as we try to do faith, what is, what's asked of us? Different churches at different times, we've heard different things. And uh, even if you're like me, when you hit a rough patch in life, or you have some illness in your family or in your own self, and then you're wondering, how do we come to Jesus, and what does this look like, and what, what am I supposed to do, and how does this work? We're just going to unpack this. I'll tell you now, I don't have this grand answer for you at the end because it's not a formula. I know, Martin, sorry. Martin's about to leave. I don't have a formula for you, but that's part of what we have to unpack, right? is a lot of times we've heard like, hey, do these three things and it's going to work. And like, well, what is it and what does work mean? And so we're going to do that a little bit. I'm trusting that God's going to speak to us because, frankly, God has more to say than I do. But let's let's pray together and then we'll open up to the book of Mark. God, we thank you that you're here. We thank you for that beautiful singing that... Um, and I feel like took me back. Thank you for your daughters and your sons here. The gifts they are to me. And we pray that you would help us be courageous enough to do some unpacking. To see what is you and what is not. To hold on to everything that is you. And to let loose of everything that isn't. Thanks. In your name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at Mark 5, verse 24 through 34 today. We're going to look at all those verses. If you've got a Bible or a device, go ahead and look that up. Maybe when I'm reading, you want to imagine it, whether that be you reading along or you closing your eyes, but I think you might want to keep it open as we're talking, okay? Because we're going to refer to it. Again, Mark 5, 24 through 34. I'm just going to read the first the first few verses first. It's recorded like this. A large crowd followed Jesus and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who'd been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She'd endured much under many physicians and spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. 
Okay, let's, let's look at this a little bit. So this woman had been suffering for 12 years. Um, I'll be honest, I've spoken in this text in some rooms where 12 years of suffering is kind of unimaginable. But in our community, no, we've got people who've suffered for 12 years, one way or another, right? And suffered for 12 years, and it has been very, very costly. She went to doctors. As you could imagine, medical care in the first century was different. We might not like the way that it is now, but it's a little bit different then, especially towards a woman who was bleeding for 12 years. Uh, a male-dominated field like that is causes more suffering. And it says that in the text. Mark points out that she's doing worse now. And she spent all of her money. It's fair to assume that she was taken advantage of a little bit, that things cost more than they should have, and her need allowed people to just kind of manipulate and cause her more pain. This system took advantage of her. But I don't think all of her suffering was just financial or even physical or even this uh, malpractice kind of from the doctors. Because in this culture, you also would have lost all your relationships. Twelve years of bleeding means that you are unclean. You're an unclean person. And let's be honest, in our day, there are people that get called a label similar to that, right? Maybe it's not from the same diagnosis as this, but, but this woman is, is very othered. She's unclean, so she has no access to God and no access to God's people or her people. It doesn't say how religious her family is, but she lost her family over this. She has to stay out. In fact, there's a, a word in Hebrew, Zaba, which she would have been called, which means literally in English, it means an oozer. And so she would be called an oozer. And this is seen as so other and outside that it would be grounds for divorce. Like if you are one of these people, you're, you're cut off in every single way. You're outside. You are alone. In many translations in verse 26, Mark chooses this word. In Greek, it translates into endured. And otherwise, Mark reserves this word for Jesus. That Jesus endured in the cross. All the other sufferings that are listed in Mark don't use this word. But for this woman... The Greek word that translates into endured is used as, as she suffers like, like Jesus. And we'll see later. I think there's a little bit of relating that happens here. But for 12 years, she's getting worse. She's alone. She's in pain. She's broke. She's without help. Now, interestingly, if you read all of Chapter 5, this story is sandwiched in the middle of a story of a very privileged daughter. And, and so the daughter's story begins. That's what Jesus is walking towards. This story takes place, and then the daughter's story is resolved. But in the middle, we get this story of this lonely 
yet courageous woman who has only heard of Jesus. I heard there's someone named Jesus. And somehow in her imagination, she, um, she can see a way that she can get to Jesus, pass through a crowd, and thinks, if I just touch him, I'll be healed. Just touch him. I'll take care of him. I'll be all right. So there's two things about this that I want to bring up at, at this point <coughs> where, I, where I think things that we probably deal with in this narrative. First is this thing that we call miracles. And I say we call miracles because Mark doesn't actually call them miracles. They're miraculous things, but doesn't call them miracles. Along the lines of miracles, we are usually in one of two spots. We are so desperately wanting the miraculous to break through that we look like magicians where we're just trying different formulas and trying different things because we're desperate. We're, we're looking for any, anything to work, any diet, any plan. I'll dial that 1-800 number and, and get the oil from somebody who prayed on it and get the cloth and get the, I'll go to wherever where we're just desperate for the miracle where even Jesus gets used as a means to the end of re receiving this miracle. We're just looking for the right formula or the right words. But equally sad is what I hear more in us. And that's just a resistance to God working in this way anymore. I think you all know, but Thomas Jefferson famously went through and modified the Bible and pulled out anything that was supernatural, and pulled out anything that was miraculous, and then believed that that was the Bible. And people went around with the Jeffersonian Bible that pulled out all of, well, a lot of the Gospels and a lot of the Book of Acts. And we may not read from that scripture, from that version of the Bible, but I think some of us function as if that's the one that we believe in. That some of the more powerful things that happened, well, that was then, or that was their understanding, or that was, I don't know, I just, I, I can't believe that way. And if you're there, I understand. But if you look at Mark 1 through Mark 10, there are 425 verses. And 200 of the 425 have to do with what we call miracles. That's a lot. That's a lot to ignore. That's almost half of the Bible that you would have to cut out from those sections. So we either answer only to them and just seek them at the cost of everything, or we cut them out and ignore them, or we unpack our baggage around the topic. Or we unpack that things don't work the way that we think they work, and the one with the mic should tell us how it works, and I don't know how. But I also don't think we can just cut it out. I think that because of scripture, but I also think of that from my own life. Through what I've watched, what I've encountered, what I've experienced. There's a second obstacle in what we've read already, and that's that her action wouldn't, wouldn't fly, right? Like that's interesting theology to think if I just touch his clothes, I'm going to be healed. 
like, no, you got to do a whole lot more. There's some creeds and some baptism and some water and some prayer and some holy stuff that you got to go through. There's a dance. There, there, there's some stuff that you have to do. You don't get to just reach out and touch Jesus and automatically get healed. You've got to confess stuff. You've got uh, like we've got a list that we've been told. Right. But she reaches out and she touches and she's healed. She reaches out and she believes like, oh, I, if I can just touch his clothes, I'm going to be all right. And here's the thing that throws me off. She's not the outlier. Go forward one chapter. One chapter. Go to 653 through the end of the chapter. We see the same thing. Jesus is walking around. People are high-fiving him, and they're healed. Go to the book of Acts, and we've got Paul's handkerchief, right? We've got Peter's shadow. I, I think of Peter Pan for some reason with the shadow that did different things than Peter did. But we've got the shadow, and when a shadow would cross someone, they would be healed. And when the handkerchief, which is kind of gross, would go sweaty and go touch other people, they would be healed. How does all this work? I don't know. Is it just fantasy and legend? I don't, I really don't think so. I'm kind of a skeptic in a lot of ways. But I think that God's actually doing things there. But before we make this our new formula that we just got to find a way to touch something that Jesus or Peter or Paul touched. Let's, let's finish this account. So let's pick up in Mark 5, 29. We read this. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately, aware that the power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your disease. <coughs> There's a couple words that stand out to me. First, immediately. Immediately, she touches his clothes, and immediately she's healed. And she knows her body enough to know, like, whoa, something's different. I'm healed. Immediately. Second thing that stands out to me, Jesus noticed this power leaving him. I don't have any commentary on that, except, like, wow, that, there's stuff going on here that I, I don't get. He's touching the crowd. He's going through. People are reaching out. People are bumping into him. She touches his clothes, and something happens there, and he's like, whoa, something left. She's trying to sneak away, right? And she really probably could have, but something within her didn't allow her to. It, it, it says here in... Uh, in the text, knowing what had happened to her, uh, she, she came back. She just couldn't leave, though, though she could have, and people wouldn't have noticed. Inside of her, she couldn't leave, so she came back, fear and trembling, saying the whole truth to Jesus. And then Jesus says to this woman who suffered for 12 years, who doesn't 
really have a family at this point, who doesn't really have money, who doesn't have any of this, he looks at her and says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. He calls her daughter. If it's been a while since you've been called daughter or son, when somebody lovingly calls you that, it, it's, it's like home. My dad's best friend, when he sees me, the last time he saw me, he calls me Matt or Maddie. The last time he called me, saw me, he, he pulled me in and he said, son, I love you. And he wasn't pretending to be my dad. It, w- it wasn't any weird kind of thing, but I melted. Because there's just something to hear those words of belonging, right? And this power leaves Jesus, and she tells her whole story. And Jesus doesn't encounter her with shame and with rebuke and with how dare you make us all unclean. Any of that, he, he meets her with a title of how deeply she belongs and says, daughter. And then listen to these next words. Your faith has made you well. Now, I don't want us to hear that as she has more faith than we do, and if we're not well, then we've got to muster up more faith. No, it's not that. It's not about you. It's not about me. This verse isn't about us. We can learn from it. We can understand the heart of Jesus. But in this encounter where 12 years of bleeding is healed immediately, then after a whole bunch more is healed because she hears daughter, and then she hears that her effort has led to her healing. All this faith, this faith towards, I I believe, towards none of it was, she's just trying to get well as best she can, whether it be a doctor or reaching out and touching his clothes. And though we would say, ah, there's something better to do than just touch his clothes, you probably should like say a creed or you should, you should repent or something like that. He says, no, your faith has made you well. And as you go, go in peace. If anybody understands shalom in this point, it's probably her, right? She's in the midst of all of this being restored and being remade. And publicly, this is big, publicly he says, you are healed. So to the temple, she can go. To God's people, she can go. She's not unclean. The rabbi has said, no, you're, you're healed. You're good. You're whole. Go in shalom. Go in peace, my daughter. I mean, this daughter is completely transformed. Her, her body is healed. She has the ability to have relationships restored. And the thing is, she will stop breathing. She will die someday, right? Like we don't have that story, but she will die a transformed and different woman because of this encounter. This is what we find happens. 
people encounter Jesus and they're transformed. We find that in the Gospels. We find that in the book of Acts. We find that in the letters. We find that in church history. We find that today we're finding that in this room on different weeks. We're finding that in small groups and over dinners. Now on Easter we're going to talk about expectations. But we know that we know that people are still being transformed. So one, one other kind of adjacent thing to unpack here. To make this make a little bit of sense, if you're a little bit in, like, we, we just got to cut out the miraculous, like, I think most of us would agree that God is the creator, that this just didn't happen by chance. Wh- however we think it happened, I, I'm not asking for agreement on that, on the amount of days or years or er- eras or anything like that, but that God created this and that God created you and that God created me. It's kind of a founding thing that we would agree on. But if we follow that, then it makes sense that creation would still follow God's lead sometimes. It makes sense that creation would do what it is created to do. And it makes sense that this shalom and this transformation would still be the point. And that every now and then, we would see it breaking through. There's an Anglican scholar and poet that I like named Rowan Williams who has this quote. It's a bit lengthy, so I I almost apologize about that, but it's worth it. It says, if God's action is always at work around us, if it's always on hand, so to speak, we shouldn't be thinking of God's actions in the world as competing sorts of things jostling for space. But what if there were times when certain bits of the world's processes came together in such a way that the whole cluster of happenings became a bit more open to God's final purposes? What if everything became a bit more open to God's final purposes? Ask, and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds and everyone who knocks the door will be opened. You've heard those words. If you're like me, you've believed them super simply and then you've been broken hearted about them and then you've wondered if they were just legend. But if you're like me, maybe you're coming back around to them. Okay, what does it mean if I ask? What does it mean if I seek? Could they be true? So I told you earlier that this story is sandwiched within a story of a a younger girl, right? Who's, Who's privileged, who has family and money, and it's all shown in the story really clearly. And sometimes in our minds, in our day, that, that feels like that this middle story of this woman who has nothing would be a critique on the other story. Jesus has no problem critiquing systems that are broken, and yet when he's dealing with real people, he heals that other daughter too. They're both healed. Both pains are real. Both transformations happen. It's not the end of either of their stories. 
but they're both transformed to life. Now, I don't know why healing doesn't come as we would like so often. I don't. I don't know why sometimes it feels like we're reaching for relief or we're looking for Jesus to provide this blessing. I don't know why it doesn't always happen. We're going to talk some about it Easter, but I don't have some formula for it. But I do know that we can now encounter a living Jesus. And we can be transformed by the slow invasion of the Holy Spirit within our lives. I know that. I know it because it's happened in my life and I've watched it happen in many of yours. And I've read it throughout the ages of the way that God has worked. And God doesn't answer to us, but God often invites us into God's story. And so to the question that we began with, what is asked of us? From what I can tell in this encounter with Jesus, it's not that you do the right things in the right order. It's not that you become the best or the smartest or... or the anything that ends in EST, right? It's not that. I think from where you are today, what's being asked of you today, is that maybe you just lean in a bit. Maybe you reach out. And if that looks in some way that later you'd be like, that was wonky and that was weird, I'm pretty sure that Jesus still meets us. I'm pretty sure that when we're in need and we reach out and touch the robe, we can still be transformed. And I know that because I know that when I was a high schooler writing really like Counting Crows influenced worship songs that were not fantastic, I know that I experienced Jesus in there. And I wouldn't want any of you to hear any of those songs right now because there's only four chords in any of them. But I know that I met Jesus through that. And I know that he didn't look at that and say, Matt, this should be more complex or more theologically correct or any of that. I think he looked and said, son. I think he looked and said, Maddie. And now that my prayers aren't that different, I think he looks and says the same. What is he asking of you and of me? I think that we just lean in to faith together. And we see what happens. I think it's okay to say if we have specific ways that we need to experience this transformation, it's really okay to say. He says, seek and ask. And if you're feeling some grief that you haven't experienced transformation in that place, I think it's okay to lean in. I'd say that too. What's asked of us is really just that we place whatever grains of faith that we have in Jesus. Come what may. And I believe that if we do that, we end up a changed people. Not because we are so awesome, but because I really believe that Jesus is. I believe that he was and that he is. And so like most weeks, we're going to end this time with a moment of communion. Wayne's waking up and he's going to stretch and then pass out some communion cups. There's